0: Let's get into the Word of God, though. Psalm chapter 13. Uh, it's six verses. Let's read it together and then dive into this. And it's just my prayer that we get, you know, edified and encouraged, just equipped more, uh, just washed by the Word of God tonight and these truths the Lord has for us. It says here to the chief musician, a Psalm, excuse me, a Psalm of David, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul having sorrow in my heart daily. How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. Now notice right off the bat, and we get these in some of the psalms, and others we don't, but in this one, again, we get instruction for the chief musician, and he's reminded that this is a psalm of David. We saw how, and we've seen how some of these psalms start with, you know, play to the tune of, and it will, it will give, you know, an instruction, or it will say, I think the one we looked at last week with an a eight-string harp. Uh, none of that here, but we are informed that it's a psalm of David, and with some of these Psalms of David, it's really easy to piece together uh, because he may refer to an event of what was going on in his life at the time. And uh, 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel uh, do an incredible job of recording uh, much of the life of King David. And boy, you, you want to have an adventurous read in the Word of God. Go read First and Second Samuel and not only will you be And maybe this is a bad word to say, talking about the Word of God, but not only will you be entertained, uh, because it is just amazing, but you're going to be ministered to. And uh, amazing how the Lord worked through the life of David and how much life application. It seems that this psalm, and most believe, this psalm was written when David was in a place of exile. David was in a place of running. We know that, uh, and we talked about this last week when we talked about that eight-stringed harp talked about how David was a harpist. He didn't play an eight-string harp, but he played a hand harp. And we know that King Saul had gone from being a man that seemed to be wanting to honor God to being one that chased after witchcraft and one that was in rebellion. And we know that he went from having the Holy Spirit come upon him, as kings did in the Old Testament, to having a demonic spirit come upon him in his rebellion. And as far as Saul's salvation and so forth, it's a mystery. I don't know if this guy was a believer. I don't know if he's a guy that uh, you know, had, had, a, had a form of godliness but denied the power. We do know that it seems really clear in the scripture that he di- died in rebellion against the Lord. I'll let the Lord sort out his soul. But one thing we do know is that uh, this oppressive spirit came upon him in his sin. And remember, uh, they looked for someone who could play the harp and worship the Lord when this demonic spirit would come upon Saul so that he would get relieved. And I think that really tells us something about worship. You know, the scripture says that God inhabits the praises of his people. And uh, we're in a fallen world, and the Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but powers and principalities. And, you know, we oftentimes talk about spiritual warfare, and, you know, it involves taking our thoughts captive through the word of God and prayer. But listen, worship as well. I mean, if the Bible's saying, listen, David would come and worship the Lord, and that distress, distressing spirit would lift off Saul. You know, there's some times when distress, distressing spirits try to come against us. And uh, what a wonderful thing to say, listen, I'm going to draw near to God right now. I'm going to worship my Lord in the midst of this. And that's what David did. He would worship the Lord, and uh, that distressing spirit would lift off Saul. Next thing we know, there is a distressing individual coming against Israel named Goliath. And he's coming out challenging the armies of Israel. And it's interesting because King Saul was the tallest of all of them. He didn't want, well, he didn't want anything to do with fighting this guy. But this young worshiper of the Lord recognized this guy was, was coming against the promises of God because God had promised them victory over the Philistines. And we know how the account goes. David goes out and he defeats Goliath. And uh, everyone's happy about that, even Saul, until... After David, from there, becomes a leader of, you know what, some of the regiments there in Israel and having victory, uh, Saul's happy with that until he hears, and we're going somewhere with this, we're going going to the exile here, Uh, Saul's excited about that until one day he's, you know, cruising through Israel and he hears some women singing. And uh, I, I, I think, you know what, this was the number one song in Israel at the time, and it started off well, Saul has slain thousands. And Saul's like, oh, I like, I like the sound of this jam here. Saul slings slain thousands. And Nexus said they sung, but David has slain tens of thousands. And remember, Saul's heart was full of jealousy. And he was furious that they, you know, had ascribed thousands to him and ten thousands to David. And from there, You know, and instead of appreciating David and just the fact that David was loyal to the Lord and even loyal to Saul, that jealousy consumed him. And on two different occasions, while David was playing the harp, worshiping the Lord, uh, Saul went a little deeper in his sin because playing the harp wasn't getting the job done. The distressing spirit wasn't lifting and Saul picked up a spear and chucked it across the room to try to kill him. And so can you imagine in the middle of a worship service, a spear comes in and right across your face. David tried to, you know, convince Saul that he wasn't against him, that Saul wouldn't have it. So Saul made it very clear that he was out to destroy David. And so David left. He didn't really have any other choice. And for the next 10 years, he was in exile. This young man who had been anointed to be the next king of Israel is in exile. And much of First Samuel speaks of that time. When he's going from cave to cave, when, you know what, Saul's coming plotting against him and how God would deliver him time after time. And listen, that running, that exile, that persecution, it came out of obeying the Lord. It was the product of him being a worshiper of God. It was the product of him wanting to do what was upright. It was the product of him wanting to, you know what, serve the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And um, the Bible makes it very clear that in Christ Jesus, just as David was going to be the next king, the Bible makes it clear in Christ we're kings and priests, trip out on that. But it also makes it clear that 2 Timothy 3.12, yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And then it says, but evil men and imposters imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So it's just going to grow worse and worse even from that time. And as David desired to live godly in Christ, he was persecuted and put in an exile. The Bible makes it very clear if you're a worshiper of the Lord, if you want to honor the Lord, there's going to be some persecution. I notice they're going to suffer persecution. And those are two words that I know I don't really like, suffer and persecution. But the scripture says it's going to be the case in a fallen world. And it says that, again, evil men are going to grow worse and worse. I think we're in the midst of that. And I I preface all of that and lay this out because David was in exile. David was under persecution as he's asking the Lord, How long is this persecution going to last? How long is this trial going to last? How long is this tribulation going to last? And as followers of the Lord, we're going to have trials, we're going to have tribulations. Have you ever been in that place of a trial and tribulation and asked, how long is this going to last? But as the Bible says, if we desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, we're going to suffer persecution. And it says those that persecute are going to grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. I want to get equipped with this tonight and prepared for times of exile. And maybe tonight you're in a time of exile. Maybe you're in a place where You're misunderstood because of your Christianity. Maybe you're in a place where you're being exiled from loved ones and people you care about because of your Christianity. Maybe tonight, because of your Christianity and because you say, but listen, this is a sin. And they say, no, listen, we need to be accepting of all things. You're called a bigot or a homophobe or you're called something like that tonight. And you're being exiled because you're trying to stand on the truth and say, these things aren't of the Lord, and it's not that I hate you, I love you, I care about you. I have nothing against you as a person, but as Christ has forgiven me of my sin, He wants to forgive you of your sin. That's not really received today, is it? That's called hate. Even in this tragic thing that happened this, you know, last week there in Orlando, and it is tragic all the way around. So many people saying... And I saw an article in the USA saying that every person that has ever spoken out against homosexuality, they have blood in their hands because of that. For saying this is sin, just as I was told before I came to Christ that my gross fornication was sin, my sexual sin, that I participated in. Sin is sin, right? But love doesn't turn a blind eye to it. It says this is wrong. It needs to be turned from. God has something better for you. Don't follow the dictates of your own hearts. Listen, if I still followed the dictate of my own heart, I would still be out living that life. And not only would I be in a place of rebellion, I'm pretty sure I'd be dead for sure because I was on the brink of dying back then. But not only that, but it would have deprived me of even so many blessings here. And, and I, I say that not to, to go off on that or to introduce that, but just to bring up the fact that if you're going to stand for what's right, and by God's grace, we'll do that in a loving manner and a way, amen, there's going to be more exile, like David was experiencing for that 10 years. He was being exiled for standing for truth while Saul was embracing the counsel of his own heart, and the counsel of the wicked one. So in the midst of that, he says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? He's asking this question. The beautiful thing is that he never forgets us. And he never hides his face from us. But sometimes in the midst of our trials, boy, it can feel like he forgets us, huh? And it can feel like he has hidden our face from us. Anyone ever been there before? Maybe you're there tonight. In the midst of a trial, in the midst of a suffering, in the midst of a persecution, maybe in the midst of an exile right now. I know I'm experiencing that with certain people. You want to stand for truth? You want to just, you know, not accept this or just sweep it under the carpet? Well, you're this, that, and the other, so to exile with you. I'm sure I have plenty of my own issues and things I need to work out with the Lord, but it's a difficult place to be. And you ask the question, you know, how long is this going to last? And again, in asking that question, you feel forgotten. You feel like he's turned his face from you in the midst of that. But beautifully, Psalm 139 says, his thoughts towards us outnumber the sand of the sea. And do you know that you're always on the mind of the Lord? He's always thinking about you. And you're like, there's seven billion of us. How can he do that? He's God. He's not man. Let's not confuse that. I got four kids and I mix their names up at times, but he does seven billion (laughs) completely in order. Maybe seven billion plus. I don't know. But his thoughts towards you outnumber the sands of the sea, and we're told in the Gospels. Jesus tells us he knows the number of hairs on our head. And he says, if even if one sparrow that's worth a couple copper coins falls to the ground, the Lord knows that. How much more does he know about what's going on in your life? And this is where the Lord goes on to say, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. And as followers of Christ, he gives us these assurances that he never will leave us and he'll never forsake us not a glorious thing and so when we ask that question how long O lord will i go through this and it is okay to ask that god gives us the permission to ask that and we're going to see the psalmist you know his his attitude changing as he sorts this out but he says will you forget me forever will you hide your face from me he never forgets us and He never hides His face from us, even when it feels like that's the case in the midst of trials. And it's so important that we stand in truth versus our emotions and our feelings. In fact, Psalm, or Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge, in him. acknowledge Him and He shall direct your path. And in the midst of an exile, in the midst of a trial, boy, we gotta be cautious because if we just trust our feelings... If we trust our feeling the saying God's forgotten me, God doesn't love me, God's turned His face for me, the Word of God says, listen, don't lean on your own understanding. God has said, I'm always thinking about you. I know the number of hairs on your head. I work all things for good for those that love me and are called according to my purpose. He says, acknowledge the Lord and He'll make your path straight. Again, the question, how long? This is a question that's asked off, often through the scripture. It's interesting in Revelation chapter 6. It shows under the altar all of those that are being martyred during the great tribulation. And they say, How long, O Lord? How long until you contend with this wickedness, with this evil? And he tells them a little, a little longer. And I think with this question, how long in the midst of a trial, it's probably a twofold answer. Number one, we probably don't like the answer as long as he wants. But not forever. To Him, a day is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. And boy, sometimes in the midst of a trial, a day can seem like a thousand years to us too, huh? A month can seem like a thousand years. A year can seem like 10,000 years. But we got to know that His time is the right time. And we got to know that in any trial he brings along, he absolutely is working it for good in the life of his children. He absolutely is. That's not us leaning on our own understanding, but trusting in him and on his promises. Verse 2, he says, How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Now listen, in the midst of a trial, in the midst of an exile, in the midst of persecution... The worst thing that you can do is take counsel in your soul. It's the absolute worst thing that you can do. Sit there in yourself trying to figure out why this is happening, how I got in this place, how this is going to end. Analyzing it from every view and every angle and every party involved, it's the absolute worst thing that you can do. And this is what David is doing at this point. How long is this going to happen? And the council of the soul, he's decided God's forgotten him and God's turned his face on him. And all God was doing for that 10 years is preparing him to be the king of Israel. And he was saying, I, got, I want a king who's a man after my own heart. And so before I can use this man, I need to take this man and I need to break this man and teach this man to be dependent upon me for every meal so that when he is the king of this nation, he'll be dependent upon me and he can lead these people into green pastures and govern them in a godly way. And we got to know when God's allowing trials in our life, it is not to destroy us, but it is to build us up and to prepare us for a greater thing than just sitting around, saying, boy, Jesus, just make me comfortable. I came to Christ for salvation and a lazy boy. No. He says, you're soldiers, you're laborers. We have the highest call in the world on our life to take the gospel out to a world that desperately needs to hear it. But the worst thing that we can do in the midst of trials is take counsel in our own soul. The scripture says that the heart of man, it's desperately wicked. My heart can lie to me. And I hate to tell you this, so can yours. Sometimes you know, oh, those lies of the enemy. Those aren't, lies aren't from the enemy. Those lies are coming right for me. And so if I'm going to take counsel with my own heart that can be incredibly deceptive and a liar, how many times has your own heart told you God's forgotten you? God's turned his face on you. God doesn't love you. When the word of God says he loves you so much, he demonstrated his love for you. While you were still in sin, he sent his son to die for you. In the thick of your rebellion, he said, I love him. I'm sending my son to die for him. And, I mean, you know, when you were at the bottom of, of the cesspool, so to speak, of your life. And then in the midst of a, being a believer, wanting to follow the Lord, or just even a believer that's wrestling with things in life or struggling with issues, our heart says God's forgotten you and. God's face isn't on you. Listen, Jesus didn't die for you so that you could lose your salvation. In fact, if you're a follower of Christ, listen, if we could lose our salvation, we would. He died for you to sustain you and to work things out in your life and to work all things for good. And again, the question, how long shall I take counsel in my soul? The answer is, as long as you will allow it. And listen to this. This is why we're told in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. And listen, that casting down of arguments... And everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. A lot of times we just pin that on the enemy. But again, David, he's taking counsel in his own heart in his own soul. And his old soul has said, God has forgotten you and God has turned his face on you. When God says, my thoughts towards you outnumber the sands of the sea and I know the number of hairs on your head. We need to take counsel in the word of God. Amen. amen. And in the truth of scripture. Again, Philippians 4, eight. finally, brother, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there is anything of virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. And if you want to take counsel in your own soul in the midst of a trial, in the midst of an exile like David was in, you're not going to find peace in that. You're going to find peace when you say, Listen, all this is going on, but let me go back to the promises of God. Oh, yeah, Jesus said, In the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. The Word of God says, All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, they're going to suffer persecution. The Word of God says, This is the things that are happening to me, are happening to my other brothers and sisters around the world. So, number one, I need to know that the Bible said these things would happen. And then I need to remember that the Lord tells us in the Word of God that He uses trials to purify us and to grow us, and He does use it for good in our life, and that He is with us in the fire, and He'll he'll be with us through the flood. And He says when the enemy comes in like a flood, He raises up a standard against him. And all of a sudden, there's great encouragement, isn't there? There's truth that washes away that counsel of our soul that, again, wants to exalt itself against the truth of God's word. That's spiritual warfare 101 tonight. Not taking counsel in our heart, but standing in the word of God. And when that counsel of our own heart or the world or the enemy or whatever is conflicts with God's word, we say, no, I'm standing in the truth of God's word. I'm going to put this down. Well, as a result, again, of counsel in his own soul, he has sorrow in his heart daily. He says, how long will my enemy... Be exalted over me. Listen, that sorrow in his heart, I think there's a heart issue. There's a head issue. The head issue is we need to take counsel in the Word of God. The heart issue is Jesus Christ said, blessed are those who mourn, for thee will be comforted. And we talked a little little bit about that on Sunday. Mourning, it means to grieve. It's, 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 It's to wail. It's casting, you know what, our cares upon him. And in the midst of an exile, in the midst of a trial, we need to learn to do that. But listen, in the midst of doing that, we stay determined to stay the course. We stay determined to keep our eyes on the Lord. I love Second Corinthians four sixteen. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. He says, don't lose heart. Yes, grieve, mourn, weep before the Lord, but we don't lose heart because he says, these things that are on the outward are renewing the inward daily. And God has greater things for us, eternal things and so forth. These things are temporary. David also asked the questionnaire: how long will my enemy be exalted over me? In this case, specifically, it would be 10 years. He'd be 10 years in exile. Think about our enemy tonight, though. What's our greatest enemy? The Bible makes it clear. Sin, Satan, death, and Hades. And if you're in Christ Jesus tonight... You have victory over those four things. Even in the midst of battles, the Christ, Jesus Christ has won the war. Practically, though, again, if you're going to live godly in Christ Jesus and that's your desire, there's going to be a lot of times in this life where rebellion is exalted over righteousness. The victory is coming in the Lord Jesus Christ. And He makes it clear in Christ we're going to rule and reign with Him forever. Verse 3 says, consider and hear me, O Lord my God, and light my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed against them, lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. And notice the transition here. David is going from questioning to calling out. And, And that is always a good move, to go from questioning the Lord. How long, Lord? Why is this happening to me, Lord? You know what? Why have you turned your face from me, O Lord? Why have you forgot me, O Lord? He's turned from that to calling out. Consider me, hear me, O Lord, my God. Jesus Christ said that men should not faint, but they should pray. Counsel in our own heart, lean on our own understanding. It doesn't accomplish anything, but the only thing it usually accomplishes is more anxiety, more stress, more depression. But when we begin to cry out, we begin to cast our cares upon Him, all of a sudden the hand of God begins to move. When the hand of God begins to move, listen, everything begins to change. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man, that avail availeth much. So He says, consider me, hear me, O Lord my God, and then notice He says, Enlighten my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. He's saying, give me eyes to see because right now I feel like dying in this exile. Have you ever been in a place where you're just like, I'm, I'm done? I'm, I'm done. Lord, you need to come back tonight or send a taxi for me tonight. I'm, I'm done. There are times in the Word of God, we were in Corinthians, and Paul even alludes to that of just being in the place of of, of wanting to die. There's times in Psalms where the psalmist talks about, I wish I was a bird, I could just fly away and just hide. But he says, alight my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Give me eyes to see, give me eyes to understand, give me spiritual eyes, give me a biblical perspective. That's what we're trying to get tonight in the midst of this, a biblical perspective, eyes to see. Versus, again, the counsel of our own heart that blinds us to truth. I notice he says, Lest my enemy say I have prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. And David was concerned that the enemy, in this case Saul, would think he had victory over David, but more so David and the Lord himself. And perhaps in part this was David just saying, listen, I want righteousness and I want truth to prevail and I don't want them to have the satisfaction that unrighteousness is going to prevail. Hopefully part of it is too, is that the individual that is resistant to the Lord would come to a place of yielding to the Lord before that time's too late. Well, verse five, he says, but I have trusted in your mercy my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Does this not sound way different than the first two verses? How long, O Lord? How long will you forgive me? How long will you turn your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? And then he goes to again. from that to crying out. And all of a sudden, there is a change as he begins to cry out to the Lord and say, God, enlighten my eyes. Let me see this for really what it is. Let me put down the counsel of my heart, and I want to take your counsel up. I want to see things as you see it right now, not as I see it. And all of a sudden, there's like a veil lifted from this guy. There's a depression lifted from him. There's an oppression lifted from him. There's a hopelessness. That's lifted from him, and it's replaced with hope. It's replaced with joy. Notice, but I have trusted in your mercy; my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. He goes from whining to singing. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Listen, calling out to the Lord in prayer, and seeing things biblically, it gives way to a breakthrough. And there are times when we need breakthroughs, isn't there? There's going to be trials. There's going to be tribulation. If you want to live godly in Christ Jesus, and I'd have to think you're here tonight because you want that. He says you're going to suffer persecution. You're like, well, that was back then in Bible times. No, he says men are going to grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. We're in an age of deception right now. And if you can't see that, you're under that deception right now. And I would pray your eyes would be enlightened, that you would see this day that we're living in compared to the truth of God's Word. And notice here, he begins to count his blessings. But I have trusted in your mercy. Yeah, I'm going through this trial. There's an exile going on and so forth. But I have the mercy of God. Listen, David was a a sinner. You you can make a case for David that he was worse than Saul practically. This was a stone cold adulterer and a murderer. The difference is he confessed his sin before the Lord and got forgiven. And in the midst of this, he rejoices in the mercy of God. Mercy is not getting what you deserve, and we deserve hell. That's a pick-me-up, isn't it? I shall rejoice in your salvation. Again, in our sin. We can't save ourselves. If you're trying to be saved through what you're doing, you're not going to be able to be saved. It's like going to court for a crime you've committed. And telling the judge, but I did all this stuff over here. He said, I don't care. You, you, you broke the law over here. We transgressed the law. But in Christ, we have salvation. We have forgiveness. We talked about that tonight. We partook of communion tonight to remind us of the salvation we have in Him. And then he says, I'm going to sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me. The Lord has dealt bountifully with everyone in this room tonight. And do not listen to the counsel of your own heart and the enemy that would say, no, you, you know what, not you. Listen, we have breath on our lungs tonight. I'm assuming everyone's heart's beating right now in the room tonight. We're all clothed tonight. We've been fed tonight. If not, if you're hungry, we'll feed you tonight here. No one looks dehydrated here tonight he's provided our needs he sent his son to die for us we have God's word tonight here to look at he's dealt bountifully with us 1 Thessalonians 5 16 rejoice always pray without ceasing and everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you that's his will for you and if you're not doing that you're outside of his will If you just take counsel in your heart, instead of rejoicing, you complain, you kick rocks, and you grumble, you're outside of the will of God. If instead of praying about those things, again, instead of praying about those things to the Lord, you're outside of His will. He says, in everything, give thanks, even in the exile, even in the persecution, even in the tribulation. And you're like, how can I do that? Because God said he's going to use it for good in your life. And again, this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. And this psalmist, David here, everything changes when he goes from, again, the counsel of his own heart to saying, God, open my eyes and let me cry out to you. In a matter of six verses, everything changes. His eyes are now on the Lord versus his own circumstance, his own understanding and the enemy. And he's been flooded with hope, victory, and freedom in the Lord Jesus Christ. And th- this is, this is counsel here tonight in the word of God that will revolutionize your life if you're not already practicing this. This is counsel from the Word of God that absolutely can radically set souls free and even Christian souls free practically from from bondages and so forth. And I would hope tonight that we don't leave here and, you know, the enemy just comes in and snatches us away like seed that's just fallen by the wayside. I hope and pray that the Lord would take the seed here of Psalm 13 and say... I'm going to sow it deep in your heart that you can walk in it, that you can stand in it, that you can be liberated from it. And in doing that, listen, our light's going to shine a whole lot brighter for the Lord Jesus Christ when that's the case. Because I'll tell you one thing about fires, they get people's attention. There's a fire going on. There's a campfire going on. Every little kid wants to come up there and throw his plastic, you know what? Water bottle in there. I'm like, oh, those kids. Listen, when there's a fire, everyone wants to know what's going on. They want to come watch it. They want to see what's going on. And this was a fire that David was in. There's gonna be fires we go through. I think of that fire Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in. Why? Because of their faith. They were exiled because they said, We're not gonna bow to this. We're we're not gonna go along with these cultural things. Even if we're called the troublemakers, even if you kill us, if God allows that, so be it. God's will will prevail. And it infuriated Nebuchadnezzar, did it not? And he said, heat that furnace up seven times hotter than it's been. They're getting carried over there, and the guys carrying them to be thrown in are falling over dead. So they must have willingly walked in. And everyone's watching the fire, and remember what Nebuchadnezzar said, didn't we throw three in there? They're like, yeah. Why do I see four, and the fourth looks like the son of God? They were in there rejoicing. And even that which the enemy meant for evil, God used for good. Because you follow Nebuchadnezzar's life, it's pretty clear this dude became a believer in the Lord by the time it was all said and done. Let's stand up and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise you tonight. We give you glory. We give you honor. Just thank you for who you are. You know, Lord, I I know we're living in a time where there's a lot of pressure to be ashamed of you and to be ashamed of the word of God. And I pray, Lord, that that wouldn't be us. Lord, you shed your blood for sin and for us to be forgiven of it. Listen, if you're here tonight, if you haven't, I just encourage you to call upon the Lord and let him, meet, let him meet you where you're at. And Lord, I would just pray, God, that as followers of you, Lord, that we stand in the truth of your word. We won't take counsel on our own soul, but we'll take it in the word of God. And instead of complaining, we'll call out. Or that we become a people of prayer. and Lord, we could practice it in the midst of the trial especially. When we're not in the trial, but, you know, Lord, I pray that your word here tonight would just set souls free and renew our minds and just help us, God. We need your help. And we thank you that you're wanting to do that, God. Just just anyone even here tonight, God, in the midst of a trial or an exile, God, meet them where they're at. We We want to collectively pray, God, that you would shine your face on us. And we want to collectively pray that you'd enlighten our eyes to walk in truth and stand in it. Lord, we pray that, Lord, you would renew hope in our hearts tonight and the joy of the Lord, even in the midst of of just a a dark world that's just really in desperate need of you. And Lord, even any here tonight, God, in, in the bondages of sin, you know, maybe some in the midst of sin that easily ensnares them, and maybe in the midst of that there's people even saying embrace that, walk in that, celebrate that. I pray anyone in that place tonight would know, Lord, that sin hasn't been talked here tonight to condemn anyone. We're already condemned in our sin. It's been talked about to point them to the Savior who wants to forgive them and watch them and begin to work in them and be faithful to complete it. And we thank you for that, Lord. I pray that message would be received. The gospel would be received. Lord, you, just, you would just meet us where we're at in this place, God. Bless the rest of our night here in our fellowship. We just thank you for who you are. And we just ask and pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. And we said together, amen. 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 God bless you.